other side of Easter. Um, one thing we really missed in week four of our series was just the regular theme we see is that as much as Jesus tried to recondition Peter, Peter just didn't get it. The whole series is about the last week of Jesus' life up to, until his death, and Jesus used that week to really invest in Peter, to try to get him to change his perspective on things, to get him to look at things differently. But week after week, we saw that as much as Jesus tried, it just didn't click. And then week four especially, we kind of dropped this hint at you that the real reconditioning for Peter and even for us doesn't happen before Easter. It happens after Easter. So what we want to do is we want to send this series off right by showing you the finished product. We want to show you what happened to Peter after Easter. And as we do that, we believe that you also will find some interesting things for your life. Now to get things um, going and to kind of introduce this, I have to tell you what happened right after Amy and I got married about 10 years ago. 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago. Apparently part of the marriage contract, so I, I did this like the right way, right? So I went to go visit her father. I said, may I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And this, just to give you an idea, an idea of what he's like, he said, are you sure you want that one? Because he had three daughters. <laughs> this was after he gave me a beer, by the way, and that kind of helped a little bit. But I'm like, yeah. Uh, apparently part of the marriage deal, which I didn't know about, was as soon as Amy and I were married, they gave us an old kitchen dining room table dining room set so an old table and six chairs to go with it and i didn't know this was going to happen it was just sort of first year of our marriage they stopped by with the truck here you go here's your table oh thanks um and it was a great table we didn't really use it because we didn't have kids yet and it just sat in our dining room but but there was one thing that was really wrong with this table one of the previous owners i'm not sure who had tried to refinish it and in the process, they completely ruined the top of the table. It, like, for example, we had bad manners. So whenever we put our elbows on the table, like, our elbows would get stuck. Like, ow, ow, we'd have to rip them off. So we tried to cover the table with a tablecloth, and we quickly noticed when we tried to take the tablecloth off, it's like peeling duct tape off of a table and just got all nasty and everything on there. So we're like, you know what? If we're going to do anything, we have to, do, we have to either fix this thing or we have to get rid of it. So what did we do? We, I, tried to fix it. Sandpaper wouldn't work. It's just too gooey, so sandpaper just got too nasty. So I had to turn to some chemicals, which I probably should have had a gas mask for. And somebody last night after the late service, they're like, well, that explains some things. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I used some chemicals on that thing. I spent hours and hours on the easiest piece. You probably know what the easiest piece is of an extended table, right? I took the leaf out. Okay, I was just working on the leaf for hours, 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 and I couldn't get anywhere. I'm going to show you some pictures of it. This is actually the, the table as of yesterday. I'll tell you where it is in just a second. This is the top. Okay, so pretty easy. It came with two leaves in the middle. I'll show you a picture of them in a second. The next picture shows you what the chairs are like. So these chairs have all these little creases and crevices, and if you're going to refinish the table, you have to do the chairs too. So I'm looking at this stuff like, oh, man. And then here's finally the two leaves that came with the table. And by the end of this, I felt like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, and I'm just like ready to throw these things down like two tablets that would be shattered. Now, this table, all these things you see 
are currently sitting in a basement in Elk River because they're at the, the house of my brother-in-law, Phil. Because we had tried, Amy and I had tried to get this thing fixed, to get it refinished, and we started with the smallest possible, easiest possible piece, and we couldn't do it, so we're like, you know what, we give up. Somehow, Phil, my brother-in-law, decided to take it or accepted it from us. I'm not sure why. And then he tried it out a little bit while, I think, I'm pretty sure this is the one I did, and then this is the one he did. So, you know, he did a little bit more, but now he's looking at it, he's like, there's no way. <laughs> so I don't know if you noticed in the first picture, there's a little yellow sticker on it. And next month, he's going to sell it in a garage sale. So I was like, Phil, I'm going to show this to like 300 people. Can you give him a deal? So his deal is, if you want to go up to Elk River, he'll sell this to you for a steep discount. He's asking 75, but he's like, is 25 too little? I'm like, no, they'll love it. <laughs> so if you want a table, all you have to do is go up to Elk River, tell him my name, and I get 10% out of the deal. So I, I have some motivation here. Here's why I bring this up. When you look at something like this, when you look at a big project and it's kind of an all or none thing, sometimes what I do, what you do, is we take the smallest possible, easiest possible step at the beginning just to try to test it out. And when it doesn't work, it's so easy to give up. Now, some of you aren't like that. Some of you can change like that, and the rest of us hate you for that. Most of us struggle with change. We struggle by taking a step. I've heard it phrased this way. Making a change of habit in your life or making a, a notable change in your life is kind of like you were walking down a well-worn path, but now making this change means you're going to go through a... Through a, 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 a da, da, da. A dense, thick forest, and you're going to have to do a lot of work to make it all the way through. Now, here's where we're going with this. This whole thing about being reconditioned in this series, about making changes, we've seen it hasn't happened for Peter. Jesus has tried to make these small steps here and there and here and there. In fact, here's a quick review of what we've talked about so far. Jesus told Peter, if you're going to be with me, you've got to follow me. You've got to let me lead you. And Peter's like, well, I think I'll go my own way. It didn't work. It didn't catch. In week two, we talked about how Jesus warned Peter, you're going to fall away from me. Peter said, no, I'm not. Peter's, <laughs> and Jesus said, you're kind of right. You're not just going to fall away. You're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows twice. And then the third week, Ben uh, focused on this element where Jesus was in the garden, and Jesus asked Peter and the others, please, could you just stay awake, watch, and pray, pay attention, and pray, and Peter and the others <sighs> fell asleep. Week four, where we left off, was this, this uh, moment where, where Jesus was in the garden, his, captors were, his uh, captors were coming towards him, and they were going to arrest him. And Jesus said, yes, this is the cup that I'm going to drink. And Peter said, no, I'm going to draw my sword to prevent this from happening. And even up to the very end, where Jesus is walking off to be crucified, Peter still doesn't get it. He still isn't reconditioned to what Jesus wanted him to be because change is so difficult. But what we're going to look at today is the key that unlocked everything for Peter and for you and me too. There was an event that changed everything. Um, here's what I think a lot of us local churches are good at. We're good at saying about Easter, because of Easter, your eternity has been changed. It just takes a small amount of faith, just faith, trust in God about what happened on Easter is true. And, and that's, 
God's way to change your eternity. Here's what we don't talk about quite so often. It's, if you're taking notes, it's your first fill-in. It's that understanding the resurrection, thinking about it, saying if Jesus truly did rise from the grave and you try to understand what exactly that means, the more you understand it, the more it changes your perspective on life and the more it changes the steps and the paths you choose in life. And we're going to talk about why this is true. We're going to build on this thought throughout, this, throughout the message today. And by the end, I want to show you the finished product of what happens when this takes place. Now we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2 because this is where you see the finished product of who Peter is start to take shape. And before we dive into this, what I want to do is bridge where we left off in week four to where we are today. In week four, we left off on Good Friday. We left off when, when Peter was quick to draw his sword. And where we're going to pick it, off, pick it up today is actually 50 days later, or about 52 days later. Here's the quick rundown of where we've been. So it started Good Friday with Jesus dying. Jesus stayed in that state, in that condition for three days. On Easter Sunday, guess what? Jesus came back to life. And so this was like the big moment. And on that day, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, to the, to the women, they knew, okay, something big just happened. And they didn't quite understand it all at first. They're like, what's going on? What's going on? And so what happened is for 40 days, Jesus continued to, to just hang out, to be around them. He ate breakfast with them. He ate lunch with them. He ate meals with them. He taught them things. But here's one really interesting thing from these 40 days. During this time, we don't have any record of specific things that Jesus taught them. And you might think, well, that would be really interesting, wouldn't it, to know what Jesus said during those 40 days? But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't teaching anything new. He was just helping them remember. Hey, guys, remember I said this would happen? They're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you did say this would happen. And he was drawing them back to show them why he had to suffer and die. So for these 40 days, they were being reconditioned. Their perspectives were being changed. Until finally, there came this day where Jesus ascended into heaven after 40 days. And it's really interesting. I, if, if you're making a movie about this, there's just so many ways you could picture this. Like, the, the disciples are there. They're, they're kind of out on the um, hilltop. And Jesus has been telling them, you're going to be my disciples in all the ends of the earth. We're gonna, I'll be with you always. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And if you picture it, like their, their jaws are dropped, and they're just sort of standing there motionless, wondering what's happening. And then an angel comes up, and he's like, dudes, what are you doing? You have a job to do. And so they go back to Jerusalem because Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem. Something big is about to happen. So for 10 days, they go back into Jerusalem, and they're kind of sitting around like, well, what do we do? So Peter comes up with a good idea. He's like, well, we lost Judas. We need to replace him so that there's 12 of us again. So they have this system. They figure it out. They bring in Matthias, great name. And so now they got 12 of them again. They're, they're hanging out in Jerusalem for 10 days, and then this big event happens that, that is what Acts chapter 2 is all about. It's Pentecost. Now, this was uh, a few series ago or a couple series ago. I can't remember. Do you remember that phrase when people had to come to the temple and say, my father was a wandering Aramean? Did you put that on a plaque? I think I told you to put that on a plaque or on a poster board or something. Did you do it? 
Okay, that's your reminder. Anyway, they had to bring their first fruits, the first part of their harvest, to the temple and acknowledge, I don't deserve to have land, much less these crops. My father was a wandering Aramean, but God has given us this land. So Pentecost is the Latin version of the Hebrew day called the Feast of Weeks. This was when everyone would pour into Jerusalem with their first part of their harvest to say, God, thank you. Thank you for sustaining us and giving us the ability to have our own land. And so this is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection. These people are streaming into Jerusalem to offer their first fruits to God at the temple. And the disciples are still waiting. As all these people crowd around, something unexplainable happened. It says the disciples were all in a house, and all of a sudden there came this loud sound of a wind. What appeared like flames of fire were over their heads or on their heads, and then they started speaking in languages they had never even studied. And the way they explained it, they knew it right away. They said this is what Jesus was talking about. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit by which he is equipping us to go make disciples of all nations. So we don't know exactly what that looked like, how they were speaking. Maybe they were just talking to each other, you know, kind of like how you sometimes put helium in your lungs and it sounds funny. Maybe they were just doing that to each other, like speaking different languages and <laughs> giggling. Um, we're not entirely sure. What we do know is the people, the Jews around them, could hear them talking. And the people around came to this conclusion. They're like, these guys are drunk. They are lit up. These guys have partied all night, and they never stopped. And here, in this moment, this is where we find a reconditioned version of Peter stand up, and we're going to see a version of him that we have never seen before. So he stands up. I'm going to give you an abridged version of Acts chapter 2. Here's three ways that we can summarize it. Peter stood up, and he said to the people, first of all, we're not drunk. It's 9.30 in the morning. Yeah, there's that phrase, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, but it's even too early to use that phrase. So look, guys, it's 9.30 in the morning, we're not drunk. Then he says this, God predicted that we would be doing this. And he turned to the prophet Joel, he said, God predicted that we would be prophesying in his name and that these things would happen because something bigger has happened. And then Peter goes on to tell them about who Jesus Christ really was talks about the miracles of Jesus as testimony that God was actually for him and with him. And then we get to verse 36 where Peter really lays it on him. He says this to the crowd. He says, men of Israel, people of Israel, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. Well, which Jesus? The Jesus who is a fraud? The Jesus who's trying to take over the religious system? No, that's not the right Jesus. This Jesus the one you crucified is the one who is both Lord and Christ. And the word Lord simply means master. He's over us. He's God. But the one that really would have made him panic was this word. You crucified the Christ. Now, now just think of this. These Jews had been waiting for the Christ ever since the Garden of Eden. God had promised something in the garden, and it took about 4,000 years for everything to be set up perfectly for the Christ, the Messiah, to come. 
So for 4,000 years of work, God finally brought him, and you guys killed him. Now, as you look at Acts chapter 2, we're not sure how long Peter paused at this moment, and we're not sure how much he really indulged or how much he brought up, but we do know that what he said here, once it sank in, it had a tremendous impact on the people that were around, because this is what happened. Verse 27, when the people heard this, when they really took it to heart, they were cut to the heart. It's like they had nothing left in them. It got to their very heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, a very good question, brothers, what do we do? Now, I imagine at this point, Peter kind of chuckles to himself because he's like, oh, people, (laughs) This is the same question I asked six weeks ago, and it's not going to end up well. You know, Jesus told me I would, I, would, I would fall away from him, and I said, well, what do I do about it? What can Peter do about it? And it didn't turn out well. Jesus talked about a cup that was full of suffering, and I didn't like that. I wanted to take it away, so I said, well, what can I do about that? And it didn't turn out well. I just envisioned him kind of chuckling a little bit. And maybe even at this moment, these people are thinking or they're asking Peter, okay, what sacrifice do we need to make in order to make things right with God again? Is there a ceremony? Is there a law? Is there a certain day, a certain thing? Does it have to be our firstborn son? We'll do anything. Tell us, what should we do to make things right with us and God? And I'm going to pause right there because this line of thinking brings up a very good observation. You see, when these people were completely convinced that eternity was going to be bad for them, it had a big impact on their life. I'll fill in number two if you're taking notes. When you be- what, your belief, what you believe about eternity has a tremendous impact on the way you live your life. Whether you believe that eternity is going to be bad and you need to do something about it or opposite what might apply to you. If you truly believe that you will not die but live, and that's a gift, what impact does that have on your life? People had asked Peter, what do we do? What should we do? What should we do? Peter chuckles. Guys, this isn't about a sacrifice. There's no way you can make up for this with God. No matter how much you sacrifice, it's not going to be enough because you killed his own son. So Peter's like, there's only one way we can get out of this. Only one way you can get off this well-worn path and onto a different one. And it starts with this. Repent. Say you're sorry. And they had to be thinking, wait a minute. Repent. Peter was teaching him, teaches us, he basically sets the entire foundation for the New Testament church by saying this, to make things right with God, you do not bring a broken animal, you bring a broken heart. A broken animal, God cannot do anything with. A broken heart, he can fix. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. That would have seemed so awkward to them, so out of the ordinary. We killed Jesus, why should we approach God in the name of Jesus? Because Peter, again, was teaching them a point. The sacrifice that you're looking for was already made. And if you are baptized into him, if your identity is in him, that means the sacrifice is already finished. Nothing left to do. Repent, be baptized, every one of you. 
said this to a crowd, thousands of people, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Amazing. And here's the interesting part. He says, and you will receive something that we just received. You know how we were speaking in tongues, you thought we were drinking, whatever. You're actually going to receive that same spirit who enabled us to do this. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave will be given to you as a gift. And that gift will enable you to receive this forgiveness and all the things that you've received today. So here is the highlight of his message on that day. And in response, if I was one of those people, I'd be thinking, boy, Peter does not know us very well. Fifty days ago, we were shouting, crucify him, and, and, and what we said on that day is now coming back to haunt us. Um, if you turn to Matthew 27, this is what the people said. So Pilate was up there. He's like, I want nothing to do with this. I wash my hands of this man's blood. It's all on you guys. And the people answered on behalf of the Jewish nation. They said, let his blood be on us, not just people who are here physically shouting, crucify him, but let his blood also be on our children. May God curse the Jewish nation, all Jews everywhere, if what we're doing today is wrong. And now that's kind of coming back to haunt them. And they're thinking, Peter, can you really say that we're just forgiven? You can't really ignore this, can you? And so Peter emphasizes for them, look, this promise, the Holy Spirit, forgiveness, all these things, this promise for you and your children. And more than that, it's for anyone. Even if they're far off, and I appreciate that he put that in there because that's me. I was chronologically and geographically far off when he said these words, and so were you. In these words, Peter is setting the precedent of the entire New Testament. It is not based on the sacrifices we bring. It is based on the broken hearts that God restores in the resurrection. And then he concludes with these words, 40 and 41. With many other words, Peter warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He said, you can still be, keep on being these people who have the blood of Jesus on their hands and the children on their hands and all these things. He said, or there's an out you can get away from that in repentance to be identified in Christ, to receive this gift that God gives you in the Holy Spirit. He pleaded with them, please, please, please. And then those who accepted his message were baptized. This is crazy. About 3,000 were added to their number that day, from 12 disciples to 3,000 followers in one day. But the more amazing thing than these 3,000 were the guy was the guy who was preaching this message. Fifty days before this, Peter had denied knowing Jesus to a slave girl. Now he proudly declares in front of thousands of people that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. And I wish I could tell you this was the finished product of Peter, that he was fully reconditioned and good to go. But as you read on in the book of Acts, you see that there are times when Peter's peers needed to call him out and say, Peter, what are you doing? There were times when God himself had to call Peter out and say, Peter, you need to look at things differently. 
Peter is going to continue to be reconditioned in his life up to the day that Peter meets his end as Jesus predicted the day that Peter was crucified on a cross. It was only then when Peter's sinful nature went to the earth and his soul went to God that Jesus looked at him and he said, finally, here's my finished product. So the question is, where does this series land for you and for me? And to help answer that, I want to draw you back to the very first point that Ben made in this series. In week number one, the first fill-in, oh no, can we go back and forward again? This one's kind of important. There we go. In week one, he said, had us all say, you remember this? We had to say, I am in need of spiritual development. And the, the question is, well, how do we get there? You see, no matter how much you, you teach yourself, no matter how much you're trying to be corrected, it just will not take unless it is based on the empty tomb of Jesus. One thing Peter learned in this process is that to be reconditioned, you can't, you can't just say, well, what can I do about this? Or what should I do about this? Peter understood that the first step of being reconditioned is to repent. God, I'm sorry that my path has gone so far from yours. I don't have the power to make a new one, but you do. God, through your Holy Spirit, you connect me to the power of Jesus' resurrection, and that alone has the power to change my life. As I consider a different eternity that you have won for me, that changes the way I view my life. Being reconditioned starts with the empty tomb of Jesus, and being reconditioned ends with a tomb that's empty right now, but it will be filled by you. Here's our last villain for this series. Spiritual development is bookended by two tombs. One of them belonged to Jesus and is now empty. The other one belongs to you and will be filled at some point. And between those two times, you will be developed into becoming a more, a, a more loving person, a closer follower of Jesus, so that with the end result, not that people look at you and say, wow, what a disciplined, great person you are, but so that people look at you and they can see the face of your Father who loves everyone and wants all people to be saved. So that table, $75 asking price. I can give you a sweet deal. Just let me know. 10%. I assume that no matter what happens, somebody will buy it. Maybe the price will be 20 Maybe it'll be 50 I don't know. Someone will find enough value, enough promise in that table to buy it, and they'll do the work, or they'll do a little work and then pass it on to their son-in-law who passes it on to his brother-in-law. Maybe the cycle will just keep going until it's finally finished. I don't know. Someone will find value enough to pay for it and recondition it, and the same is true of you. God looked at you. He paid a price. He sent his son to die. And what he wants for you in this life is to recondition you day by day. And that's going to happen until the day that you die. And finally, the finished product of what God intended for you, what God designed for you, that finished product won't come until heaven. But until then, it's time for a change. It's time to be reconditioned. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
with so many different lives, so many different people um, to talk about, and myself included, there's so many good life changes ahead of us that you desire, yet they can be so daunting and so hard to tackle. The two truths that we find in this series is that, number one, we are unable to make any meaningful, any long-lasting change apart from you. The motivation, the, the things that we find in ourselves, they always go bad. But the other truth is this, that what we find in the tomb of Jesus, which is empty, is our source of joy and power and hope. And when times of change are necessary, give us the attitude and the spirit to repent of who we are, that you can fill us up with the spirit who brings the power of Christ's resurrection. I pray especially today for our brother, our friend Craig Siefkin, who is enduring some extended recovery from a serious surgery. Uh, continue to bless him, continue to be with him, give him progress, give him help, and be with his family as they wait through this long recovery process. I commend him into your care. Bless everyone here, all people listening to this message, that we may be your face in this world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.